Um, me and my family went back to Suriname last year and we made this trip to um, like land inwards, so it, like straight to the jungle basically. We made this boat ride like in the middle of the night around like 10 p.m. ish. Uh, it was pitch dark, like we only saw the moon and like the light and it was sound, just the nature sound of the boat, the water, the birds. Yeah, it was such a special moment for me. Just so in tune with nature, like I belonged there, like this was really where I supposed to be or like a place I need to visit just to get back to the basics, I think. Hello guys, welcome back to another episode of the Right Feeling Podcast. Today I am joined by my friend Raul and we are going to be talking about finding your worth in the workplace. Just getting into the struggles of how do you navigate power dynamics, especially when you're in a very vulnerable position. So Raul is originally from India and he gives a lot of his experiences from working at Amazon to now working at a job that he actually enjoys. And how did he navigate moving from India to the Netherlands and those struggles that he faces as a immigrant? And you will hear some pitter-pattering and that is the pause of my little dog, Mr. Albert. So when you hear that, just imagine the cutest little fluffball weirdo looking for hugs and love. So yeah, I hope that you enjoy this episode and I'll check back in with you at the very end. Yeah. Okay, <clears throat> are you ready, Raul? Yeah. Are you sure? Try. Yeah, let's try. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's start off by introducing yourself to the audience. Okay, that's a, that's a good one. Um, well, <laughs> my name is Rahul. I'm from India. I live in the Netherlands now for about six years. I came here for my master's and now I work in an environmental technology company. That's did, what I would say. Did you think about this intro? <laughs> I think, <laughs> of course, I did think about the intro. Um, but what that made me think was that this is how I've been probably introducing myself uh, since I came to the Netherlands. Hmm. So I think my education here and my current position has a lot to do with my identity here, let's say. But then who were you before moving to the Netherlands? <laughs> the, the Rahul of that time. I grew up in a small city in India called Mangalore. It's on the western coast. A lot of people confuse it to be Bangalore. <laughs> so I grew up there my whole life and I moved to the Bangalore with a B <laughs> city to do my uh, bachelor's. And I graduated in biotechnology. Mm -hmm. For the most part of my life, education was like the biggest driver of what I wanted to go, where I wanted to be. There is a sort of a race, a competitiveness that never ends. Mm. By the time I think I got out of that, I was already an adult. And then you get into a new kind of a race, which is getting a job. Oh, no. <laughs> but before we go any further, I should also tell the audience what we're talking about today. So the reason why I invited you to this podcast, Raul, is because it comes off of one of the conversations we had before mm -hmm. about 
finding your worth in the workplace. Yes. Because now you work in the Netherlands, but at the time when we were talking about recording this podcast, you still didn't have a contract. Yeah. Right? And you being a national from India, living here in the Netherlands, waiting for a contract, then I know that you were going through a lot of stress at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So true. yeah, today we're going to talk about finding your worth in the workplace. And Maybe the first thing we can talk about is your work experience in India. Yeah. So I took a job in India. Amazon? Yeah, at Amazon. With the I bed bugs? A, <laughs> with the bed bugs as well, yes. I already know the story, but this is maybe not the story you're telling. <laughs> no, like it was interesting because for the Amazon position that I, a position called process associate, mm -hmm. where you do price manipulation and price correction for Amazon products. Maybe this is too confidential. Let, I think you just had a little Freudian slip there. You went price manipulation and then price correction. But we were price, <laughs> we were manipulating the price. Yeah, but price <laughs> correcting sounds very uh, like there's not not illegal. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we were we were actually called competitive price monitoring team, mm -hmm. and we were told that we were like the FBI. That's what we were doing. But okay. <laughs> I think pretty much a lot of the things that we did there was borderline illegal. Interesting. <laughs> but uh, just to get this position of, uh, there were 18 positions available. Mm -hmm. They had rented an entire university to conduct entrance examinations. For Amazon? For Amazon. There what? were 1,000 plus people who wrote that exam. And only 18 positions. Yeah, for 18 positions. Oh my God, Raul. Yes. Welcome to the competitive rat race that is in India. The exams were similar to what you would have like in the US, like GRE. You <laughs> yeah. did that for a freaking job? <laughs> wow. Basically, even in the interview, you had the same thing. So you had two technical interviews. Mm. So the first interview was where they would see what's your logic, like mm. how you apply how you solve problems. The question they asked me was the whole snail in the well, <laughs> like riddle. Do you know this one? Have no, you how do you get a one? snail out from a well? Is that it? Um, no, like so a snail is, uh, if I remember correctly, a snail is in a well that's 30 feet deep uh -huh. and it travels three feet every day. In the night, it slips down two feet when it's sleeping. <laughs> so only at one feet every 24 hours. Yes, but how many days does it take to get out of the well? How tall is the well? At uh, 30 feet. So 30 days. <laughs> oh, well, no. Is it because it's talking yeah. about days and not nights? Yeah. Oh, so, so it's a trick question. Yeah. So actually on the 27th day, if I'm correct, the snail already travels three feet up. So so it's already out on the 27th day because, you know. Okay. So, <laughs> yes. See, I would have failed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and it had questions like these, you know, like there were three interview processes. Mm -hmm. um, to me, that was really crazy because at that point I was traveling different cities for interviews. Mm -hmm. So I cracked this one and I made it. <laughs> it was a very mundane job, to be honest. Wait, can you just tell the story about the bed bugs? <laughs> I, just, I remember when you told me I got so itchy. Just a disclaimer for audiences that don't like listening to bugs. <clears throat> this is a story about bed bugs. So we were working in the World Trade Center in the city of Bangalore. And Amazon owned a lot of floors 
The office spaces were made out of carpets. They have beds, they have showers, mm. and people will be using it the whole time. <laughs> but it seems that they hadn't fumigated it well. And this is how, you know, you would have an infestation of uh, bed bugs. And the job also entailed you sitting on a desk and not moving for <laughs> hours together, you know? So the bed bugs are uh, making full use of this opportunity. So I had a bed bug once crawling up my jeans. And I complained to facilities and they fumigated it. But this was a recurrent problem. People were often living in not the best of conditions and they were bringing it to the office in their clothes. Mm, I see. Uh, yeah, and that's one of the many reasons why I didn't want to be there. Even though I was getting paid well, I was not happy with the impact I was having on the world. Mm. Because my life consisted of basically waking up, manipulating prices so that people buy more from Amazon. Mm. And then also living off Amazon myself, like making purchases on Amazon. And I was spending this salary back on the same company yeah. that was giving me the salary. Mm. And also the fact that watching a lot of the local uh, stores and competitors being driven out of the market mm -hmm. felt a bit unethical, to be honest. I mean, essentially, you're allowing this international corporation yes. drive jobs and yeah. uh, livelihoods from your people. Interestingly and enough, I was not working for the Indian market. I was working for the US market and North American market. So... I was actually having, I think, the most impact in Mexico because back then Amazon didn't have a Mexico website. And mm. I can talk about it now because it's been <laughs> over ten, uh, almost uh, <clears throat> eight years now. Don't come for us, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, one of the projects that I worked on was identifying all of Amazon's potential competitors in Mexico and literally documenting each and every product they have, its price, what it sells for, and where are the, like... Oh my God. Shipping. You uh, were one of them, bro. Yes, I was one of them. Wow. And I did this for, believe it or not, 9,000 products. Oh my God. Yeah. And when it was launched, it was huge. Like, they made so much money. And immediately, all of the people who would have bought that very specific product from another website or a mm. local company mm. came to Amazon because Amazon was competitively priced. It was cheaper. That was my job. Mm. All of this felt a bit unethical. I was dri driving. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was driving rampant consumerism, you know, like mm. my, my gifts to people were basically stuff that we didn't need from Amazon. Phones, gadgets. Do you even need it? No, but I'm getting it to you because I have a discount coupon to buy from Amazon. I realized that that was not fulfilling for me. Like that was not what I wanted to be. And that's not what I wanted to do. Mm. And it made me think about what I really want to do in life. So I really wanted to have the impact. And I, I looked back on my course and what was the one, one of the subjects that resonated with me the most, which was environmental biotechnology. Mm. And this made me look up universities, courses. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was a very deliberate decision and conscious decision to come to the Netherlands. So I studied here in Wageningen University. So that's how I got here. So then what happened after that in terms of finding a job 
here in Europe. Oh because my God. Boy, that was hard. It was so hard. Harder I, than studying for an exam? Yes, because that is something you can control. Hmm. Um, so I spent quite a long time uh, looking for a position in the EU. I think about four months or six months. Hmm. Networking, applying for jobs, sending video messages, the whole shebang. How many applications do you think you sent? I think I did for the EU applications alone, I think uh, about 80. Wow. After a year of persevering, I finally did go back to India. Mm. And then what happened was one of the companies that I applied to contacted me back <laughs> to the Netherlands. So that was also quite cool. So I worked in a startup for about two years, which is now unfortunately bankrupt. So it doesn't exist in Europe anymore. And when this company was going through liquidation, I was approached by this other Dutch company hmm. that I'm working for right now. The difference was that they liked me and they found me worthwhile to contact. That must have been nice. That was that really feeling, nice. Yeah. And I was not um, the most experienced. So when I was approached by this company and hmm. uh, I read up about them, my approach to an organization was I want to be aligned with the mission and I should agree with the vision of the company or the organization before I make the application. Mm. Because that's what I learned from my experience in India, that mm. I didn't do that for my job at Amazon. Mm. They had a very clear vision and mm -hmm. mission mm. and it was not extravagant or exaggerated like world peace or we're going to solve climate change. It was really mm. a special niche problem and they had a niche technology. What made me really like this company was they didn't have a position for me. Oh, so they created one for they you. They created a vacancy for me. And I found this to be refreshing. Like after my experience uh, till then, I found it refreshing that a company liked me just via talking to me so much that they decided to have me by creating a position for me. How do you feel like that impacted <laughs> your perception of your own worth? I was really over the moon, let's say. That made me very also at the same time very grateful to the company because also as an expat immigrant in the Netherlands, your residence in the Netherlands is tied to your work. So since the previous company was going into liquidation, that essentially me meant that I have to leave the Netherlands. And just two years before that, I was in the same position that was, you don't find the job, you have to leave. Back to India. Back to India. Mm. So in both these cases, the prospect of employment in a company that allows you to have an impact, yeah, I was over the moon. It's also a special feeling if somebody creates something for you. Yeah. It makes you feel like you're worthwhile. But I also think that can be a bit toxic. Mm. Um, also, just knowing more of the story and also my position as yeah. well. When you feel that kind of grateful, yeah, feeling grateful is great. But I also think when it's tied to certain cultural upbringing in asian culture it's it's not a very surprising thing to find people pleasers everywhere you know because yes. that's essentially how you're raised yes. i don't know if it's the same in india i suspect 
It's very similar in India. I think so, yes. I think you're absolutely right. I think the concept of gratefulness in India is like also tied to loyalty. So when you are really mm-hmm. grateful to someone, that also means that you are loyal to them and that you would not betray them because you are grateful to them. Yeah. So it's not just a single positive emotion. It's yeah. like all the positive emotions now are tied to it. For me, at least, sometimes it's this feeling of like, oh, maybe I owe you something. Yes. You know, because at least in East Asian culture, right? So let's say you go out for dinner. Yeah. You know, you fight for the bill. And then yes. the next time you still fight for the bill. Yeah. But there's this still expectation of whoever didn't pay last time yes. will pay now. Yes. And so <laughs> you see your face. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's that kind of exchange, right? So... How did you feel at the time when it kind of the situation evolved where your visa and your ability to stay in the Netherlands is tied to having a fixed contract? Right. Because at the time you had a um, a temporary Mm -hmm. contract. Yes. And then at some point your contract was going to expire. Yes. And you essentially needed an answer. Yes. Otherwise you would get deported to India. Yes. I think... Most Europeans do not realize this this fact that as an immigrant or as an expatriate working in this country, Mm. this is the situation that your residence and permission to live in this country is tied to some form, some other things, sometimes your education, sometimes your employment. And because they don't know about it, they don't care about it. So that's that's my feeling at least and as immigrants like we have to constantly be aware of the situation. So when your contract is going to expire in 3 months and your employer has to legally give you a 3 months notice, your employer or whoever is in charge of this process if they are European mm. They do not think of it as a big deal because for them, they don't have to do this process Mm. and they don't realize the impact that it has on the employee that has to go through this process. Exactly. So, yeah, that's essentially that. And I think uh, what can happen is if a European person who is not aware of this situation or this process Mm. is thinking that, why do you want an answer now? Why don't you wait a week or why don't you wait two weeks? They don't realize. Four weeks. Or two four months. weeks. Yeah. <laughs> why don't you, why should we give you an answer right now mm-hmm. when I'm busy? You know, mm. I, I think they fail to see the impact, the distress that it puts on the employee because now this employee has to think, oh my God, are they going to extend my contract mm. or not? If not, should I already start looking for a job? Mm. Should I start looking for a job in my country of origin? Should I try to find the place to rent? But you know, on, on top of everything else, having to leave the life you've created here yes. is another additional stress. It's it's a huge stress. It's huge. Because you've built a life here. Yeah. You know, you have friends here. You have a home here. You have furniture, you know, here. I mean, you could always sell <laughs> that stuff. Yeah, but there's a fear there as yes. well that I want to stay here. I'm trying my best to stay here. And I don't want to make any trouble then, 
right? And exactly. I think I think right now the way you're describing it, it sounds as if it's it's a little bit more giving, yeah, to the employers because it's kind of uh, attributing this almost to ignorance, right? Yeah. But I also think that there are some employers, yeah, that sometimes deliberately yes use the vulnerable position yes. of expats of people coming from lower income regions to their advantage of course yes and i know at the time like i'm not saying that the, your employer did this but mm -hmm. i remember you mentioning something about you had like a longer temporary contract than you should have been given yes right like you should have actually gotten a fixed permanent contract correct. much earlier correct so i think there were two things that happened and mm. and we haven't spoken about it later so um like with you with your employers uh no me and you about this issue oh 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 <laughs> so what happened actually was that the dutch government mm. has a specific rule and it's so strange that i have i know these rules but sometimes the person in charge of them in a company does not or pretend or pretend or... that they do not mm. so uh, back during my first job in the netherlands the maximum amount of fixed or temporary contracts that they can give you was limited to two mm. and during the pandemic the dutch government changed this rule to three essentially putting immigrants and expats under even further uh, risk mm -hmm. of after you poured your life and soul and blood and sweat in this company, yeah. the company still has the ability to say bye bye goodbye. Mm. Yeah. So this is a very stressful situation, number one. And I felt that I was also moving towards such a position that even after two years of working in a company, I would also be in a position where my employer would tell me that, hey, you know what? Let's do another year of temporary. You know, show me that you are loyal, Committed. you're dedicate, mm -hmm. dedicated, mm -hmm. hardworking for one more year. And after which I will decide whether I, get, I want to keep you or not. But at that point, yeah. did they give you any, because obviously you have evaluations. Yes. Did they give you any indication that they weren't happy with your work? Uh, no, they were very happy with my They work. were very happy with your work. Yes. So essentially, they're just buying themselves some yes. extra time. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So this this was the situation. And this puts still a lot of mental duress, you know, mm -hmm. on, on, on immigrants and expats who just want to have a fixed, uh, I mean, permanent contract. Safety. Safety, like a job security. Yeah. Um, and it's actually very... Uh, how do you say it, uh, eye-opening in your first year of employment in the Netherlands, that's that's what happened to me, mm. was that Dutch people of my company, they immediately start off with an indefinite contract sometimes. Mm. Mm -hmm. Or they start off with the temporary contract, which is within a few months already changed to an indefinite contract. Because... I feel that they have more rights. It's their country. And it's. I'm not saying that they have more rights. I just feel that the rights of immigrants and expatriates are in a way truncated. You know, mm. that this option is not given to us immediately. Mm. It's, it's understood that 
we will fulfill those two temporary contracts mm-hmm. without a single word without a single demand no complaining no complaining mm. even if you delay my decision i will not say anything about it hmm. or i will i will just accept it you won't it. raise hell i won't raise hell mm. but in general i feel that's different when you're a citizen of this country mm. like you will go there and within the first few months you're going to tell them hey do you want me to keep working this way or should i look for a new job and then immediately you're handed the indefinite contract because you only have to show a couple of months that you're serious i remember at the time as well you were telling me that you hadn't gone home to india oh yeah for the entire time that you had the temporary contract you didn't want to ask for long holidays yes or you just didn't want to bring any yeah. negative factor yeah that would into my In, appraisal. Yeah, that would ever impact your possibility to, you know, have yeah. the permanent contract. Yes. How do you feel like that affected your feeling of worth in that time period? <laughs> it's interesting you asked me that. Yeah. So Because in, I mean it's different now. You're in a very different, different position now, now. but yeah. let's rewind a few months, you know. Yeah. And how did it make you feel back then? Yeah, that that felt really really bad, you know, like mm. It's almost like a trial I'm going through. I have to make these sacrifices, you know? I have to not go home. I have to put in that extra, you know? Mm. Just to show that I am part of the organization. And I think it's it's not just me. I think all immigrants and expatriates in this country put through that. And I think in they do it in all countries. but it's it's not a good feeling i'm not saying that okay now when I, when i reflect upon it in my renewed position <laughs> i feel uh, more holistic or wholesome about it hmm. that okay i went through this process you know it's made me stronger it's made me better it's it's made me who i am uh, and it's it's true <laughs> it's true it hmm. it has shaped me but at that time i think it was Yeah, I was I was under a lot of stress. And you took a lot of shit. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. And I think I'm I'm like this now because since that time I've gone back to India. Hmm. I have taken holidays. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so maybe you should let the listeners know about the permanent contract real quick. <laughs> yeah. So, um yeah, it's it's without a given now that uh, I have my permanent contract since 10 months now. Yeah. So almost a year. Now you're not afraid to Now I'm not afraid. put your foot down and put your needs first, right? Because yes. I think when we first talked about everything, <clears throat> yeah. I I remember Madura was really my my girlfriend. She was fuming. She was like I can't believe this like they, that they would you know yeah. it just it felt so unfair and unjust and I think that you couldn't even speak I mean you could speak up for yourself right you can yeah. always put your foot down yeah. but what does that mean, mean for your future and yeah. that threat that kind of jeopardy that you would put yourself in yeah in a way by not putting your foot down you're not fully embracing the actual worth yeah. that you have in the workplace. Yeah. And I feel that that's a very um sad and scary. Yeah. Right? I think you sometimes have to sell yourself short 
just to close the deal. And I think I was doing that. Yeah. So like the show price control. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I really uh, think that this system should change. I think mm. this experience that I went through, it's quite sad that, again, the Dutch government has made it like three years, you know? Mm. So the newer immigrants and expats have to go through even worse situations that I have to go through. Mm. Not saying every employer is doing this, but there is room to exploit your employees, you know? And the reason why, even after two years, I, I stayed with the company is that even when all of this was happening, like I had essentially like a good workplace to work in. Mm. And that's what I told Madura as well. I mean, I could always look for another job, even though I had a temporary contract. That temporary contract was also fixed for a year. Mm. So once I had signed that on, if I was not satisfied. Uh, you with, could also yes, leave. Yeah. I, could, I could also leave. I could find another job and quit immediately. Mm. I mean, I did have these options, but at the end of the day, it was still a good workplace uh, and you, for me. Yeah, and you still, you agreed with the mission and the impact, right? Correct, yeah. I still sold myself short, so I'm mm. not... Uh, I'm but not you different. didn't sell your soul, Yes, at I least, yes. right? Yes. Mm. But I, you know, what's interesting is because we're talking about this in the context of expats. Yes. But I have a lot of national friends. Uh, okay. Like also citizen friends, right? And I also think back to my experience in the States when I was also working there. The thing is... I think that the threat of losing your job in general keeps people from speaking up for themselves yeah. and asking for certain things that are necessary for them to enjoy their job, to feel like they're worth this position, you know, that that they have value in this company or in this organization. And I think that um, this can actually relate to, to anyone. It's just with expats, there's this added layer of... Yeah. Oh my God, I'm going to get deported. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I have to leave my entire life. But for a lot of people, you know, if they have mortgages or if they have other yeah. finances, they're also scared to lose their job. If they have um, like a boss that takes advantage of them, yeah, they will yeah. take that shit to yeah. be able to keep their job. And I feel that indeed it does have to change. But how does it change? How do people stick up for themselves and really embrace their worth in the workplace if there's this constant threat or is it just about then maybe it's just not worth being this workspace if my needs and my rights aren't being recognized i don't think i have the answer to it but what i can add to this is that i think no one deserves to be like in a workplace that's mm. that's toxic but at the same time bills need to be paid and, you know, there are financial obligations that people have. So maybe sometimes you have to suck it up. No, I don't agree with the fact that you need to suck it up. But mm. uh, entirely, I feel that if you f if you see a work colleague or someone in your company mm. or your organization experiencing something like this, you should speak up and you should try to defend or You're prevent this from it. happening. Mm. I mean, now that I am in a position where I cannot be, let's say, fired, I would not let another employee experience this because I would be constantly mentioning the fact that, 
hey, we have immigrant employees. Let's make sure that the three-month minimum uh, notification is sent to them, hmm. you know? And also, if it's a no, yeah. if you're not continuing the contract, yeah. then they can at least exactly. move on and figure something out. Yeah, themselves. and also, if, if you don't like someone, mm -hmm. tell them, like, in Straight. their first month or yeah. in their second month so that they still have the rest of the contract duration to find a job. Mm. And if you want to take it even one step further, and I have done this for one of my previous team members, mm -hmm. was that they had still eight months left in their contract and... I told them upfront that maybe there would be another position in another company that would be more suited for you with mm. this set of skills. Mm. And let's get you the recommendation letter that you did have an experience here. Let's get you started on like some upskilling mm. and let's help you with the CV and motivation letter. I know this was maybe a little bit too much, <laughs> but I really cared for this team member. Mm. And I really wanted them to be the best version of themselves. Like, maybe not at this organization, but the next one, you know? Raul, as you're saying all this, I'm so proud of you. Like, now I know, now I can see why, yeah. after interviewing you, they wanted to create a position for you. Because now you are a person with that kind of power. And okay. I think that the change actually doesn't, maybe it doesn't actually start with the people that are, that have to bear this burden. I mean, it does in some sense because they should also be able to assert their mm. needs, but they are not in a position of power. Yeah. And now you are. Yeah. You know, and I think to the mm. people that are listening to this podcast who are employers, the words that you just said should really resonate with them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> He's so modest, bro. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Because that's where the change starts, right? Yeah. And I think that we are in a very... Um, we're at a nice little... Uh, Meteor. Yeah, no, I mean, I think our, our generation, we're millennials. Yeah. And we're now entering into our 30s, right? Yeah. We are now becoming management and... Yeah in those positions where we can have that kind of impact, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm also just thinking about my position and the thing I love about my position of, of power, okay, if you want to put it that way, is that I can give opportunities, you know, yes. and I can make sure yes. that such things don't happen. Yeah. Because those things are unfair. And I think that if you do assume a position of power, that you should prevent this kind of, shit from happening you know yeah. and just hearing your story hearing other people's stories try to prevent that with the position that you have yeah i think i i, I really don't think that i'm in uh, such a position of power or something like oh this. yeah you're not the ceo you know <laughs> <laughs> but at least now you are in a yeah. in a position that you weren't in a couple months ago yeah, yeah. And I think there is no other way. I mean, you can speak to your employer. My employer is from an immigrant background himself. Mm, so so he, he, understands. He, he understood. And that's that was amazing to me. Like, mm. you know, also when I got the position. But unfortunately, he was not applying for my residence. Mm. And he was not the one who was doing this admin work. It was done by a European person mm. who was not 
fully aware of the situation. You know, this person was not aware of these rules and these regulations. And it's not only about, I think, ignorance. I think it's also about what I mentioned earlier, that they don't care. Mm-hmm. There is this lack of empathy mm. and the fact that you think that, oh, this person, they are not special, you know, I mean, their application is not going to be. Yeah. And sometimes it's not necessarily that they don't think you're special, but it yeah. really comes down to that empathy you're talking about. Yeah. I don't know if I ever, if Madura told you this story, if I told you the story about my deportation from Brussels twice. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, and that also that's, comes down that's really to really sad, huh, by the way. Like Yeah, I mean it, it also made me feel like I wasn't cared about because Yeah. It was a situation where I even asked them, Do I need another visa? Because I was coming from London and I was studying and they were saying, No, 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 what you should have is fine and of course i was also the first international person that they had hired at the time right so it was also a learning process for them but okay once it happens i yeah. get it but twice yeah. oh when this the, the second time i was deported oh my god i was so upset and not just upset but the fact that they didn't see how they messed up the company uh, or organization wasn't willing to pay for certain things that I had to pay for because they jeopardized your application, my application. Exactly. And they refused even like I had to fight for them to even make some payments for me to, for example, store my belongings somewhere because I had already signed a lease and I had to leave. That's really appalling. eh? I mean, they really tried to wash their hands off of it yeah and they're like well you had a a part in too i was like i did my part but the part that you didn't fulfill now compromises my life yeah and it's the fact that they didn't have the like of course every organization every company tries to protect itself yeah of course of course but if this is how you treat people for me it's very worrisome right And again, I don't necessarily think it came from a bad place, Yeah. but it comes from a lack of empathy. That's really horrible, uh, Jane. I'm really sorry you had to go through that. Sometimes life is out of your hands and you just (laughs) have to go with the flow. (laughs) But um, Earl, thank you very much for sharing your story. I think we're wrapping up now. Before we do, I always like to ask this question, which is, what do you think is the right feeling in your experience? I think the right feeling is uh, for me, in this case, I'm finding your world at the workplace. I think the right feeling is when you find your world and that is reciprocated. And that can be like in any, in any way, you know? Mm. This feeling of growing together and uh, this wholesomeness. Mm. There have been a lot of positive interactions for me in this role and in, in, this, in this position. And even though there were periods of distress for me, mm. but these new positive feelings that I felt, I think that's, that's what made me stay. And a lot of them came not only from my boss, I think, a lot of them also came with the people I work with. And, and I think that's, uh, that's been one of the most wholesome experiences for me. Like, it has nothing to do with profits or project success. 
it's about having the impact according to like how you imagine that impact to be seeing that impact on the people and achieving that impact together as like a team i think that's that's really the feeling mm. it's been an amazing experience to grow with the people around you and i'm sure i'm sure you have that as well uh, because you literally did develop food unfolded <laughs> so you know that that feeling where you all were growing together and i think that's that's the feeling that i'm going to continue to uh, appreciate and crave in the future maybe not with this specific organization that i'm with now but even in the future i think this feeling is what i'm going to live for then on that note raul <laughs> Thank you again so much for being on this podcast and yeah, sharing your story. I hope that it wasn't as nerve-wracking as you thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> I was nervous, so hopefully you can cut out. Uh, the, oh my God, Raul, it was all so good. Okay, thank you for having me on the podcast. It was a pleasure. All right, guys, I hope that you enjoyed that podcast episode. Big thanks to Raul. On the next episode, I am joined by Alina, who will be sharing how to stop comparing yourself to people around you and making space for yourself. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with your friends, your family, your loved ones, or whoever. And you can find The Right Feeling on a slightly inactive Instagram at the right feeling underscore also on an early YouTube channel at the right feeling underscore. And you can also email me at Jane, that's J-A-N-E, at the right feeling.org. All right, guys, thank you very much. And I can't wait to feel the feels with you in the next episode.